0: Hello out there, Michael things are here. Coming Back Stronger is a special edition podcast series focusing on the way food and drinks businesses are bouncing back as the world are slowly starting to reopen from COVID-19. We will especially be sharing great stories on how progressive leaders are bouncing back from the pandemic by using the power of technology and delivery. By listening to these conversations in the coming period, we'll be able to pick up great stories, insights, and facts, as well as best practices from industry experts, independent operators, to national chains who all are setting a new standard for how to operate in the new normal. Vita Mojo and Hospitality Maverick joined forces on this project due to their shared beliefs on how tech plays a massive role in building companies that's good for people, communities, and the planet. In this episode, we have Hugo Engel as our guest. He works with digital transformation at the progressive operator Leon Restaurants. Hugo and I talked about how Leon has pivoted through the pandemic, how this has brought forward a lot of innovation on all fronts. We also talked about digital transformation in the restaurant industry, and how it's really taking off now, and how to keep the experience human, as well, the importance of thinking out of the box to find solutions that keep you in business. Lots of digital nuggets in this episode. Tune in and enjoy. Welcome to the Coming Back Stronger special edition podcast series. And uh, today we are in late May. And uh, there's a lot of activity right now in the market in general. Restaurants are starting to open up. Uh, Some have never been closed. And actually, today we have a guest as part of an organization that has not been closed during the pandemic. They have been doing a lot of stuff. Uh, And that's Hugo from Leon. So welcome to the, the podcast, Hugo.
1: Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on.
0: It's super interesting to have you on as a guest because besides you're from Leon, you also work with the digital side of things. And that's something that's really have taken up during the pandemic and we'll come back to that. So so people that don't know who Hugo is and uh, and I, th- I think the most people know who Leon is, but just to give people a grasp about who are you and what organization you're from and what role do you have within that before we start diving into the deeper conversation about digitalization and, uh, and the pandemic
1: sure um so leon very briefly uh was founded 16 years ago by john vincent and henry dimbleby to try and answer the question what would fast food be like in heaven um and very simply we think fast food in heaven would taste good do you good and be kind to the planet and leon has grown according to those principles to become a healthy fast food chain with over 70 restaurants um, and a 1,000 team members. Me, personally, um, I joined Lyon about six months ago now um, with a focus on digital innovation. Um, so both transforming existing areas of our business, like introducing digital ordering to our restaurants, and then also working with partners to build new uh, sort of digital-based business propositions, most recently Feed Britain um, and soon the Leon Club bit of background on me. Um, Before Leon, I had a long and illustrious career. Just kidding. I, 22, just graduated from university last year from LSE, where I studied political science and philosophy. Originally, I sort of, at university, wanted to go into politics. Um, Then I realized uh, throughout my time there that actually it's technology um, that is shaping the world more than politicians are at the moment. And if I wanted to be part of uh, creating a sort of real positive change to shape our collective future, it was uh, technology where I should be working rather than politics. And um, I was particularly interested by the Leon opportunity because not only is, I think, Leon an industry-leading company, um, but also I think the hospitality sector in particular is super interesting um, in that it's quite late to be disrupted by technology. There's a, there's a great sort of graph of, digital disruption by sector and hospitality is second to the bottom just above construction and I, I think you know there's clearly a lot of potential there um, and you know we're at the beginning of our journey um, in that respect and I'm really at the beginning of my my own journey and learning new things every day and I guess you know today I'm going to learn what it's like to do a podcast interview um, which I'm super excited about and maybe next time Michael um, I can I should be interviewing you really because um, just from from the outset of before the recording started, the some of the experiences that you've had are way more interesting than anything I've got to say. So um i'd love to be able to ask you some some questions about your own experiences too another time maybe
0: (laughs) we can definitely get that organized over uh maybe a a, uh social distance coffee even so yeah so you're part of now as you say you're part of an industry that has been very slow to get into the design maturity curve and i totally agree with you and uh I would say I agree that they, i would call them laggards, and sometimes I would say even some people are in the dark ages when it comes to to the technology and using technology to boost the business but if we we just zoom into today and say we take technology out of the equation and talk a bit about you know the pandemic and you you joined Leon very briefly you know six months ago and you 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 run directly in together with leon into the pandemic Uh, how has this impacted leon and you know you're one of the few ones that have stayed open during the whole pandemic how how has this all been and you know what's going on right now and what what initiatives have you done because there's a lot that's been happening there's been a lot in the media around leon so just be good to hear from somebody from the inside what are the things you've done and why you've done them
1: yeah i mean obviously a lot has changed um and it was you know quite a strange six months from the sort of first three months I guess to the to the last three months um, for me personally you know there's been um, massive challenges um, massive disruption to the way that we operate you know we've had to close um, almost all our restaurants I mean as you mentioned at the outset we we have kept restaurants open throughout a whole time but we've closed um, most of our restaurants you know. We've unfortunately, you know, most of our team members um, have been furloughed, um, and you know, most of our our customers are now eating at home um, and not in not in our restaurants anymore. Um, So, you know, it's 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 been a really challenging time, um, as it has for the whole industry, Um, and there's you know been a lot of hardship associated um, with that. But then, the sort of other side of that is that um, that I think has Accelerated a um, l- lot of the innovation that we were sort of planning um, and were on our sort of annual roadmap um, things you know that were going to take months happened in a matter of weeks and then things which we um, you know weren't even considering at this stage and never thought we would be doing like feeding the NHS happened uh, very quickly as as well and it's been a huge learning experience for us as a company as well and. Hopefully, we're going to come out of this stronger as a result. Um, very briefly, a timeline of what happened. You know, after the lockdown um, was imposed, we very quickly changed our restaurants into grocery shops. So we were just selling like mini supermarkets the um, stock that we were using in our meals. So we were using the stock that we were ha- we had in our restaurants anyway, or came from our suppliers um and then just selling it to customers just like a mini supermarket. But we also sort of wanted to do something more than that and we recognized that the sort of brick and mortar restaurants as sort of distribution hubs probably weren't going to be very effective um uh sort of you know post-lockdown um or you know as in during the lockdown. Um and so we also set up um and this is mainly what I've been working on in the last few months a direct-to-consumer platform um, called Feed Britain, where our food service suppliers can sell um, their their goods directly to customers um, who aren't able to access them. Um, so, sort of the context on that is at the same time as we saw um, the soup markets being stretched um, in the, in their supply chains that in some cases, their shelves were empty. You know the food service suppliers um, were facing their demand completely drying up because all the restaurants were shutting down. Um, and you know they were thinking about having to lay people off. And in some cases, businesses which had been running for decades um, were sort of facing being closed down entirely because they had no way to reach their customers. Um, and so we set up Feedwritten as a way for those food service suppliers. To reach our customers um, because you know even though uh, even though people aren't eating out at restaurants anymore that sort of 35 percent um, of food consumption which uh, is food prepared outside of the home hasn't gone away you know it's not as if people are consuming 35 percent less calories than they were before you know those those are, as we know are just sort of shifting consumption patterns and so everything we're trying to do at leon it's to change the way that we can allow customers to access food um, in a way that suits those new consumption patterns. And then sort of in addition to the, to the mini supermarkets and the Feed Britain platform, we've also been running our Feed NHS campaign, um, which was a campaign to deliver um, free, hot, healthy meals to NHS critical care workers um, during the lockdown. Um, and continuing still. Um, and so uh, we sort of brought together a coalition um, of uh, Backs to Story, for example, Meal Force, um, Feed Our Frontline, um, and together we've been serving 40,000 meals a day um, to hospitals for free. Um, and we were very grateful to, to Matt Lucas and his Baked Potato song, um, and for Damian Lewis to help raise awareness and generate the funds for that. Um, and we've been serving those meals out of Leon restaurants, which has also provided us with an opportunity to keep um, some of our team members busy as well in the restaurants.
0: It's amazing what you have achieved and what are we talking about 10 weeks now we're in the 10th week i think
1: of of this um honestly i've completely lost my sense of time during this <laughs> you could have you could have said like 30 weeks or, or two weeks or <laughs> just trying
0: to calculate back but i couldn't even remember the date in, in my own head so <laughs> it's super interesting you're you're bringing leon into people's home and uh, what have, what have been the big learnings about because this is a these things the feed Britain is, is, is a new revenue stream, I guess, or something that was on the roadmap, as you said, to be brought in later, some of these digitalization things. And I guess there's a number of other things you're doing in, from an operational context. We'll come back to that. But how, how has that been rolling that out? Because it's national, as I understand. It's not just London or where your stores are. You, you, you're doing this national. And that's, that's quite a com- complex thing to do in no time.
1: Yeah, um, so it's, it's not quite national yet. It's southeast um, of England um, so far, but soon um, we're going to be rolling out nationally. And you know, the, the main barrier to that and actually the main challenge we sort of faced um, with, with it when we were setting it up um, is, is the logistics of delivery. Um, so the, it's something that Leon had never um, got into before. We you know, never you know, were interested in that part of the value chain. Um, but it was completely necessary in order to get um, that food from food service suppliers to people's homes. Um, So it could reach people who uh, weren't able to go to supermarkets or didn't want to go to supermarkets um, during lockdown. Um, And I guess like the the obvious um, solution to that um, in normal times would be to reach out to the uh, online grocery delivery companies, um, like Ocado for example, um but in in covid times these guys were completely over capacity you know as as we know you know customers were struggling to get a slot delivery slot on Ocado for weeks which is part of the reason why we set up feed britain um to begin with and then the on the other hand the other sort of route um for home delivery are the other are generic sort of courier services you know the the dpds um the apcs Of this world, but the issue there is that they're all geared up um, for uh, ambient delivery um, and not for delivery of chilled goods, um, and with all the sort of food safety concerns that comes with that, Um, it requires a lot of um, careful preparation and packaging um, on our side to ensure that um, those would be food safe. And you know, we didn't. That that's something that you know takes a couple of months. Not a couple of weeks. Um, so in the end, we were, we were stuck for a little bit, um, but then we sort of went back to our first principles of why we set up feed Britain, which was um, to support the food service suppliers. Um, and we realized that a lot of these food service suppliers um, were you know they have logistics operations to deliver to restaurants and you know they had van drivers and we spoke to some who were laying off their own van drivers um, because, you know, simply the restaurants were closed, they weren't operating any new deliveries. Um, also at the same time, you know, on the, in the supermarket supply chain, um, they didn't have enough van drivers. Um, so it was another sort of market inefficiency that we wanted to try and solve. And we wanted to try and keep those van um, drivers and delivery guys um, for the food service suppliers um, uh, in, in their, in their jobs. and. Um, so we went to uh premier fruits um who are a fruit and veg wholesaler who operate out of new common garden market um and we partnered with them to to do the home delivery um of the feed Britain boxes you know, so they had a spare warehouse in New common garden market where they could do all the picking and packing of of the boxes um and then also they have the van drivers for for home delivery um but the other thing we we learn is that there's a big difference between um restaurant delivery um you know b2b delivery um and and home delivery um and you know the the big difference there is just the sort of number of drops you're doing per day um you know going from just doing a handful of restaurant um delivery drops per day um to doing maybe 100 um drops to people's homes and you know with that comes um routing optimization for fuel efficiency um and for time efficiency. Um, and you know, you need the software to support that. Um, and it also rightly, you know, customers have much greater expectations um, in terms of uh delivery um and sort of being informed in when their delivery is going to arrive and exactly what slot it's going to arrive in um, and having all the customer service um channels set up to support that um than restaurants do. Um, and, you know, that has been a journey with Premier Fruits um, to, to get to sort of set them up for home delivery um, in that way. And it's something we're still working through. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that is, just, I guess, one example of something, something we've learned um, and a challenge we've had to try and overcome um, uh, with, with the Feed Britain project.
0: It's very interesting. Uh, of course, it's very different. Suddenly you are, you are not in, you're not not doing your hospitality service kind of thing. You're doing more a transaction thing where people has a need for something in their home. But have people, you know, you've been one of the first movers on this and you've seen others following you guys and done similar thing or done it at the same time. Um do you think that also the consumer is more forgiving in these times when you're trying it out in a in such an environment? You have more ability to learn and improve fast without having big repercussions of making a mistake because we come from an area where everything had to look perfect almost to now where that's what I feel even with the, the local greengrocer and butcher. You're a bit more overbearing with things. You just think, yeah, well, it is what it is. it is. It's understandable. It's not easy, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, I think, yeah, you know, consumers are more forgiving, um, and, um, you know, things like, for example, you know, to, to take sort of what I was just talking about the, on the, on the delivery slots in normal times, customers would expect to be able to select the exact slot that their, um, that their box will be delivered in, in COVID times, for example, you know, most of them are in their homes anyway. Um, and so you know there we can be a bit looser in terms of um, giving them the time that their that their box will, will be delivered um but I think sort of a, a sort of more profound point than just that um, is that I think people are more willing to change their habits um, right now I think you know consumer behavior is just in a state of flux right now where people are more willing to to adopt um, a behavioral change. Um, Whereas before they would be more sort of rigid, um, rigid and and fixed, and sort of the way they are used to transacting and the the way they they used to buying food especially. And you know, to take a sort of another another example of something else we're doing and where we've seen that. Um, and so sort of our other big project right now is digital ordering in the restaurants. Um, and you know, whereas before we'd been focusing mainly on on the kiosk channel for that. Um, we're now focusing a lot on mobile ordering, um, and uh, which we're calling smart ordering, um, ordering from your smartphone. Um, and you know, before creating that behavioral change from customers who are used to ordering over the counter to ordering on their phone, um, it, was, it, was, it was really hard to do. Um, and that's kind of where Kiosks came in. And it's kind of the way um, I see Kiosks, because there's a kind of a bridge between the two. Um, so customers are finding it easier to um order on a kiosk um and then transition to order on their ordering on their phone um and I think that's maybe quite a specific dynamic to to the u k um when I sort of work with our restaurants in the u s it's actually the other way around in that they've sort of started from a mobile place mobile ordering has been more widespread and only now kiosks are starting to um to be deployed, um, but for, for the UK, sort of that behavioural change going straight from ordering over the counter at the till from mobile has become so much more possible now um, than than it was before. So whereas before, you know, we were really anticipating having to have you know a five-year bridge really from um, with kiosks supporting that move from till to mobile. Um, now in in our Jubilee Place restaurant. Um, which is entirely digital, um, so no transactions are of the till. We have both the mobile ordering channel and the kiosk. And at the moment, we're seeing uh, 60% of the customers ordering on their phones and 40% on their kiosks. Um, so people are actually more willing to order on their phones um, than before. And a lot of that, um, I think, has is, is got to do with, with safety um, and, and hygiene. Um, And I can talk a bit more, if if you'd like, about sort of um, how I think we can use mobile ordering to to improve um, the safety and hygiene of of ordering in in restaurants.
0: Yeah, it actually is a very, very, very good place, actually, to to start a talk about, you know, what are you then? Because like one of the things that's been talked about a lot the last couple of weeks, one thing is when are we going to open? That's the big question. When are we going to fully blow up? I think it it looks like it's going to be sooner. This is just my prediction. It's not something I have from somewhere. But looking at McDonald's spin out saying this morning, they are going to open a majority of their restaurant, almost ninety percent. McDonald's often set the pace from anything uh because of their size and their their infrastructure. and uh I guess they are they have been talking about as well that you know how do we keep our people and customers safe? in this new world because the pandemic is, it, the virus is not gone because there's not a cure for it. So there's no, there's no vaccine right now. So, so how are you doing that? Because that lead into what you just mentioned there, I think in a way, how are you using maybe digital things to make people feel safe? Because it's interesting how quickly people are actually going away from screens. And I thought, imagine all these companies that has invested heavily the last year in kiosk equipment. People don't want to touch that screen now because we are paranoid you know, about this thing still in our back of our head. And I think I think there's going to be a slowdown of it as we move forward, but we st- it's still very close to us in our minds when we go out. I think there's going to be some really weird situation happening because people are still finding out, how do I behave in this? You know, how do I walk past people in a busy city? How do I go into an, a restaurant and order without being one meter or less Uh, from somebody so yeah so it'd be interesting to hear what you're doing to to make people feel safe because it's the bottom of the maslow's hierarchy of needs it's it's feeling safe before we do anything
1: yeah and yeah i think i mean the kiosk question is really interesting and like to be honest i think it's too early to really say um how customers are going to react to using kiosks as we come out of this crisis um you know i think you know kiosk suppliers um I know are doing what they can to make them safer um, so VitaMojo, Mojo, the supplier that um, we work with um, are putting antimicrobial uh, screens on kiosks um, to help pr- improve hygiene in that way and then of course there's a lot you can do from a restaurant perspective in terms of you know making sure that they're regularly um, wiped down And then there's also a the sort of point that um, currently you know throughout the crisis customers have been using kiosks in supermarkets um, the whole time. So you know someone shared with me a data point um that in Tesco's ninety percent of the transactions have been going through the kiosk still um, so so that that's sort of on the one hand um but i th- I think you know what we've seen um in in Jubilee place is that people customers are a lot more willing to to adopt um the mobile ordering solution um because it, it is safer. Um and the the way we've sort of designed the, the process um to make it safer um is designed to be completely contact free. Um so you're you're having you know no interaction at all um with a team member um where you could risk any contact. So you know a customer orders um orders a meal on their phone or on their laptop um on our on our ordering platform. Um, They pay for it on that same ordering platform. Um, They've selected the time when they're going to pick it up, um, and then they arrive at the restaurant um, at the collection time. um, Simply walk in, find uh, their their bag, which will have um, their meal inside and a sticker on it with their name on it, and pick it up and go. Um, And and so that whole process is is completely contact free. and you know, compared to ordering at a till, um, or, or you know, indeed ordering at a kiosk, I think that that seems to be um, sort of both making it safer for the customers, um, but also sort of making it much more convenient for the customers in terms of the time they are actually going to spend queuing um, for the restaurant as well, because you know that's the other area of high risk if you sort of break down the high risk process of of um of getting food from the restaurant, is it's not just placing the order itself, but it's also the queuing outside the restaurant. And by um by using digital ordering where people are booking their slots at which they arrive and then using our digital ordering platform um with VitaMojo, we can limit how many people can order in each slot. Um, you can then actually take away any queuing at all. Um, so you know if if you can if you can say you know for these over this five minutes um only 10 people can reserve this slot then you know that there's not going to be um a queue for people when they're coming to pick up their order um so you're sort of avoiding that part of the process as well so that's sort of in in restaurants how we're looking to um improve the safety um for for customers but then you know feed britain is is another example of the that's like almost the safest way for people to get food is um, they're not leaving their house at all. You know, the food is delivered right to their door, um, and they're preparing it themselves. Um, and so I think you know the the, the key is to um, I guess experiment with, with different channels. Um, and another channel which we haven't mentioned yet, um, and I I know that um you're an expert in is is a, is a corporate catering channel as well, and I think that's also um sort of particularly interesting at this time as employers um may discourage their employees from leaving the office at all um to collect their lunches um but at the same time you know canteens are shut down um and so you know something we're we're working on right now is um how we deliver the um deliver our, our, the food from our restaurants directly to people's offices um as well so that they don't have to um, leave the office at all and and risk going into a shopping mall or something to, to to collect their food. I
0: think I think it's super spot on. Yeah, no no employer would like to take that risk right now. That uh, if they're gonna have people in the office and and the, the way they have to operate now, they don't want them to leave the office and then buy to pick up lunch. And I think you would see employers that will go very far even paying for food just to, to minimize risk. But it's super interesting the way you talk about it. It sounds like you have been done this carefully mapping of your customer and as well, I guess, your employee journey to help minim- minimize risk across, you know, all the in- in-person interaction we used to when we go in and queue in a Leon on any other kind of place to grab lunch. And uh, I guess... This is like reimagine the whole way of operating in a way, and uh, that's going to be still a lot of mountain to climb of learnings because you know, haven't even had, you know, maybe the pressure on the restaurants because people has been staying away, as you said, they've, they've been at home. As people start coming back, it's going to be interesting to see how that work and uh, and 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 see how the, the see the complexity rise, I guess, as well. But the, my core question is here: How do you keep the uh, you know, because restaurants and hospitality is about human experience you know we we're not selling food we're selling a service in the end and how do you keep it human do you have you thought had some thought about that internally and how because leon is also about this human touch point in a way
1: yeah um so i guess the the answer to this is slightly different um in before the crisis um in terms of how we use digital ordering um to to preserve um the human sense Whereas during the crisis um, and sort of during sort of complete contact free ordering and collection, it's very it's very difficult. Um, so, I mean, it's I think it's the core challenge for hospitality right now is that you know hospitality is fundamentally a, a social um, it's, it's a social sector. What you're selling is social interactions um, with people. Um, and so it's it's almost impossible, I think, to to continue having that same level of human interaction. Um, if you're being completely contact free, um, you know there, there are ways you can do it sort of digitally, and you know there are ways you can um, use data to sort of personalize your um, communications with customers in a contact- free way. So you know one advantage of digital ordering um, that um, we've been benefiting from is you know now we can personalize our communications to customers based upon what they're ordering and when they're ordering. Um, and, you know, that's that's sort of one way we can do it. But um, I think it doesn't replace the, the human interaction. And um, as we come out of this crisis and we can um, have interactions between team members and customers again, um, what our sort of strategy is for digital ordering um, is that we can actually improve the level and the quality of human interactions um, because instead of customers ordering at the till, Where the team members are um, essentially doing a a more sort of uh, machine-like job of taking the um, taking the order that the customer has said and punching that order into the till um, and handing that order over to the customer until the next person comes around and it's a bit like a machine. You know, we try and avoid that, but on a busy like you know rush hour lunch, it's it's, it is a bit machine-like. But if everyone's digital ordering. Um, then suddenly those team members are freed from um, that sort of uh, that machine like work to instead um, do what humans do best, which is to interact um, with people and so we've had team members um, before the crisis in our digital restaurant in Fchurch street um, instead of being behind the till simply just uh, putting in orders to a till they're interacting with our customers as they come in um so we, we think about it in terms of the Leon super job of the future, um, which is what is the job that is gonna be um, the amazing job that everyone wants to have um, after automation. And I think for us, that, that is this host role um, where you're like the maitre d, um, you're the person who's greeting all the customers as they come in um, and, and you know you know the customers, they're your regulars, you can have quality interactions with them, you can, you can chat with them, you can make casual conversation with them, because you're you're freed up from the machine like work of simply transferring their order that they've given to you in speech into a digital form on your till because they've done that already and so instead all your interactions you have are the high quality interactions um, of of actual conversation um, and actual socializing and you know I think that is the, the big win um, in ter- for humanity um, in general in terms of uh, sort of digital technology and automation. Is that, um, And this is an optimistic view, but I think, you know, the, the business processes which are um, quickest to be automated are also those which are um, most machine-like um, and are, are those which sort of uh, reveal less of our humanity. And, the, and that will hopefully free us up um, to do the tasks and to do the jobs um, which are more human. Um, and bring us back to our core human nature, which um, for me is our, our social interactions and interactions with other people. Um, and you know, I think both on a sort of macro level, um, that's what we should be heading for as a society, but also in our restaurants, um, that's what we're heading for too. So in, instead of um, simply transferring orders into a till, um, our team members can be hosting and interacting um, and having real connections um, with our customers um, uh in in that host role
0: that that leads very good towards you know that there's a future as well. We are we are where we are right now, and and, and everybody is doing the things they need to do and they can do. But how would uh, you know? I, I I believe I have a big belief in that. You know, we don't even know 100 percent yet how restaurants are gonna be looking and how they're gonna be operating on the the other side. Let's say 12, 18 months. Uh, but if you should have a guess from the things you're working with from a digitization point of view, is that you can see. Technology's role in society around us is increasing, and now the time has really come from the restaurant sector, as you said in the in the beginning. Um, but how would it look when you go into let's say a Leon in London? How 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 would that be different from from what you knew prior to to COVID or the pandemic?
1: Um, so I think the sort of obvious change um is that a growing proportion of the transactions um, will be taking place um, digitally by the customer um, rather than over the counter um, and i think that when that happens then that sort of changes um, the the rest of the restaurant as well um, and so you know there's it's quite interesting um i so i often sort of look to china um when i'm looking at sort of future trends Um, or sort of innovations um, in this space, which haven't yet happened in the US and the UK. And, you know, there's only sort of that, um, that sort of comparison only goes so far and that there are obvious cultural differences between us and China, I don't think. And I actually sort of don't um, hope that that we're ever sort of going to get to a stage where um, we're paying for our KFC burgers um, with our faces on public kiosks. as they've been implementing in China, because I think we have um, some valid concerns about privacy um, here, which just don't exist in China. Um, but there are innovations in China which I think um, will 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 be coming here soon. And you know, one of those is the sort of combining of offline and online um, retail. Um, Alibaba's founder sort of calls it new retail, and um, he's been experimenting. With this in the in our sort of food and drink space, um, with his uh, some supermarket called Hema in China, um, and there, like you, you see that the supermarket still exists. It's still a brick and mortar store. It doesn't. It's not as if is an online business entirely. Um, but what that supermarket is, and in that sort of physical space, is combining um, both the uh, sort of um, richness. Um, you can only get from looking at a, a piece of fruit or a vegetable um, in real life um, with all the data, which you can only get from transacting online. Um, so for example, you know, you're know you wandering around the supermarket, it's kind of like a showroom in a way, um, and you're buying the food um, that you're seeing on your phone. Um, and yet that phone is also uh, offering um, you sort of personalized um, deals, um, based upon your transaction history. Um, it's allowing you to scan the um, products that you see in front of you um, using blockchain uh, for supply chain um, transparency. Um, it's allowing you to order the food you're seeing in front of you to be delivered to your home um, so that you can walk out of that supermarket again without having bags of shopping. Um, so I think, I think that, sort of, that sort of paradigm of combining um, the online and the offline into new retail um, is something that we'll see in the UK um in the sort of food space as well. And then the, the other thing um uh was on sort of China and lessons from China which I think is interesting is um and sort of maybe relates more to, to our Feed Britain project. Um but it it's the sort of trend towards social e-commerce. Um so the third biggest e-commerce um platform in China is called Pin Duo. Duo. Um and they came from nowhere, um, and um, they operate on a very different basis to um, the sort of web 1.0 platforms um, like Amazon um, in the West. Um, they're a they're a social e-commerce platform, um, so the entire buying experience is based upon social interaction. So you're you buy. Um, in teams, in groups, and through buying in teams, um, you gain discounts on the products that you're buying. Um, and you know, every, the, instead of having a sort of search orientated um, user experience on the site, it's a sort of discover orientated user experience, more like you'd be familiar with on Instagram, for example, where you're essentially getting a news feed of of products which are recommended towards you. You pick a product, you you message your friend on WeChat, share it with them. And hope to get a team together to buy it at a reduced price um, and they started in the in the fresh fruit and veg category um, and that's where they've had the most success and i think they sort of uncovered quite an important truth which you know may be part of the reason why fruit and veg um and food in general has um been sort of slightly late to be disrupted by e-commerce um which is that it's such a trust-based category um and um i think as a trust-based category, it's been sort of underserved by the e-commerce platforms that um, have been built in the West. Um, but having this social e-commerce platform, um, I think allows you to bring the trust um, and the fun back into um, sort of purchasing um, food and drink online. Um, and so sort of where like how that is actually relevant to us, where, you know, Pinju and Duo doesn't exist in the West, but I've, um, we, we, um, our Feed Britain uh, site operates on the Shopify platform, um, and you know Shopify um, have just recently announced a partnership with Facebook Shops. Um, Facebook Shops um, is, for those who haven't sort of see, uh, read about it yet, uh, is Facebook's play into e-commerce, and you know Facebook is, Facebook Shops is going to be the closest thing um, we have in the West to social e-commerce. Um, And we're with Feed Britain going to be very very interested um, to see um, how that changes uh, sort of consumers behaviour on our store um, when we're selling our boxes um, on Facebook rather than on Feed Britain. Um, And I think there's a lot of potential there um, for sort of bringing uh, social e-commerce into into the food and drink space in the West, which we haven't yet seen. Um, The other, I I guess, like another sort of thing for the future which we're currently exploring um, is uh, voice as a as an ordering platform um i think it's you know it's still in its nascent stages um and you know for the for the moment um you know mobile and kiosk are certainly more important um but i think um you know it it is a most intuitive way to order food or drink um or you know, transact at all, and to rem- remove that like, remaining interface that you have um, with ordering on your mobile and kiosk, so you're speaking um, entirely intuitively and entirely naturally with voice and ordering in that way, um, I think is something which is really interesting to us. And um, we're exploring trialing um, voice ordering in, um, in our restaurants as well. Um, but this is something which is uh, the very early stages. So I <laughs> don't want to talk about it too much.
0: No, but it's interesting with voice. I think there's a lot of uh, trial, uh, Chipotle, McDonald's, to give some sample to the really big boys. Right? And again, and uh, it's interesting how fast that's going to move now as well with the whole safety kind of angle on it. Because again, it's a way of not having a, a touch or I have to touch the screen. And uh, so I think it's going to go very fast. Often when there's a demand, technology is evolved very quickly uh, because then there's the funding to do it as well. And the will to, to implement it, which is often the biggest challenge with technology as you, you want to put it into organizations. So if you were giving, you know, like your top three, uh, Hugo advice to, to operators or leaders out there, what they should do, preparing for reopening or being part of the new world, the new paradigm, the new now, the new normal—what has been called the last couple of months. What is the top three th- uh, things you would start to put in place? Because I guess it's all about what's what's important for the next five to ten years when you do these things. But what is that you would get started with right now that could benefit you know the you know both your customers but also your employees?
1: Um. So. Um I think I mean it's something we've sort of discussed a lot, but you know the importance of digital ordering, um, you know, can no longer be underestimated and no longer ignored. Um, so if you know if restaurants haven't already um, uh, looked into setting up their own digital ordering platform, um, I think now's now's the time they should be doing it, um, and you know the benefits this can bring in terms of um, you know safety um, in the sort of immediate short term. Um, but then sort of longer term, um, and this will be so, so much more important as well as, you know, restaurants struggle um, after the COVID crisis. You know, being able to operate at a lower labor model um, and being able to offer an experience as well for the customers, which is more convenient and sort of meets them where they're at in terms of their, their own behavior and the way they order in sort of every other sector and every other channel. Um, but then also in terms of gathering data. Um, and that's why I think it's important that restaurants look at their own ordering platform rather than simply um, sort of signing up to the third parties' um, click and collect options. Um, and then I guess that sort of leads on a bit into into the second um, bit of advice, um, which would be um, being able to use that data effectively to both improve marketing. Um, and you know, I think the e-commerce paradigm is a really useful um one when restaurants and um the food service industry should be thinking about how how we do marketing um so you know once you've collected all this data um linking customers to their transactions you can then market and communicate with them um in a way which we've never been able to do before and previously you know we'd only be able to do if we're operating the e-commerce business um and you know that can that can obviously improve um retention for our customers um drive frequency um but also all that data helps us you know gain insight into um the new ways that customers are going to be consuming food and want to consume food and what products they want to see um, and i think that's going to be particularly important sort of being able to really um understand our customers changing patterns through what's going to be a really turbulent time continue to be a turbulent time and then the third thing um would be to think outside of the restaurant entirely and really think, um, completely outside of the way, um, you're currently operating, um, and experiment with new channels. Um, so, you know, I think the direct to consumer, um, sort of food retail channel, um, is, is really interesting right now. Um, and feed Britain, um, I guess would be our play, um, on that, but then there's also the sort of B2B channel, um, which uh, Michael, we we were discussing a bit as well, which um, is going through a period of massive change. Um, And so I think those are, I guess, a couple of examples of things um, things that operators could do, which are sort of outside of the bricks and mortar restaurant business.
0: It, it, it's super interesting what you're saying there as well is that you know there's a need for automation. that's been the theme we talked about in this uh, episode and you say that like look into it now and get it done but also shorten your route to the consumers table and and then again coming back to the, you know if you already have a business people trust you will have a very good chance online as well because as you said food is very basically about do i trust you or do i not trust you that's basically how, how hardcore a food decision is when you go in somewhere. Um, and, then, uh, and then the whole thing about, you know, try to think outside your normal restaurant walls and think about what is, how, how do consumer actually wants to consume food. Because I think it's going to be very different when we've been home cooking for 10 weeks we're going to have a very different approach to food or some of us will definitely have and i think i think that's the key thing we still want the convenience but we also we will know more about ingredients we'll be connected much more with food than we was prior to the uh, pandemic so I, I think very good point there hugo very good advice
1: um, thank you i i feel like i'm in no place to give advice to all the much more experienced operators who will be listening but um those are my sort of Naive little thoughts, anyway.
0: <laughs> uh, well, the, the 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 great thing about the situation we're in is that the canvas has been washed off, and it doesn't matter. It's good to have experience, but uh, your previous way of doing it and uh, it is probably not going to solve the problem. You know, so as as Einstein said, you cannot solve uh, a problem with the same. Uh, ways and methods it was created, you know, so you actually have to think out of the box and come with new new ways. So it's probably good to have a, a clean sheet when you go into this so you're not too 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 connected to old habits as you called them before so but Hugo thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your personal and some of the experience from Leon I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are gonna gain some great insights about this and start reflecting on what they can do in their businesses so so uh, good power and energy to you and uh, to Leon and uh, the the journey coming ahead is gonna be a steep one but uh I'm sure it looks like you are ahead of the curve and, and good things are happening.
1: Thank you, thanks so much for having me on and I hope I'm able to ask you some questions another time too, because I would love to find out more about your experience, it sounds super interesting and learn from that.
0: Wow, thank you Hugo for your great insight into how to kickstart your digital transformation and the importance of keeping it human. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share it with people you think would benefit from it. Rate it and let us know what you think. Coming Back Stronger podcast series is brought to you by the wonderful people at Vita Mojo, the digital partner for ambitious operators, who are helping Leon, YoSushi, PharmaJ, and other leading brands transform their businesses with technology. Check them out at software.vitamojo.com or contact them directly at nick.lidl at vitamojo.com. Thanks for listening.